everybody. Wow, I wish I was as tall as John Ragsdale. I would be okay just looking like I look if I could just be as tall as he is. That's my goodness. I love it, though, because every time he hugs me, he, I get right up under his arm. It's close. And, uh, I mean, how many are in love with Jesus today? Amen. Isn't, isn't God good? And uh, what a joy it is for us to be here. I am delighted to have my lovely wife with me, my best friend and companion. We've traveled uh, the world together, and I always love to be here. I, I have to ask this, and I do almost every time I'm here, just because I love to hear your response. How many think you have the greatest pastors in the entire world? Right do they rock or what? My goodness. The truth is, when we had that conversation about Nashville, it could have been any city in the United States, and God would have used them mightily. But how many believe that they are in exactly the right place at the right time, doing the right thing? Absolutely. And so, man, I tell you, we love you all so much, and as we've gotten a chance to get acquainted with many of you, and some of you are getting your names and faces, and I see a lot of familiar faces, we just consider it a huge honor to get to come and to be with you, and to get to be here during a, a, a series that you're in on the kingdom of God. So I would love it if you would take your Bible in your hand and stand with me around the auditorium, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture. I'd like to tell you a little story uh, today. I'm not sure exactly how this will come out, and so, uh, but it's God's Word. How many believe it's always good? It'll be good. And so uh, I want to tell you a little story about how the Lord taught me some things about the kingdom of God several years ago. And so we're going to set it in context of Matthew chapter 6, perhaps one of the best kingdom passages in all of the Bible. Uh, It's when Jesus is talking about the kingdom and uh, contained generally in the Sermon on the Mount. A sermon that took him just probably less than 10 minutes to deliver. How many are praying that I have that anointing this morning? (laughs) Just let that fall on me today, Jesus. Uh, it has been arguably uh, described as the greatest piece of literary work, uh, the greatest composite of complexity of thought that's ever been shared in the annals of human history, uh, generally the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples of Jesus, uh, who some have been the disciples of John, come to him and say, teach us to pray. Uh, they'd seen him open the eyes of the blind and raise the dead. How many think, I'd like to pray like that? I, I don't blame them for asking and they asked to him to teach them to pray. And he gives us, of course, the prayer that we're about to look at. <clears throat> the interesting thing is, is he begins by saying, let me teach you how not to pray. First, he says, don't pray like the heathen who think they have to say a bunch of words for God to hear them. Uh, how many are glad for that? Amen. It's like, I'm glad. I love all night prayer meetings. Praise God. But I like to sleep some too. And uh, I think God gets it right back. You know, a lot of times we just start repeating stuff anyway, right? After, after about the first hour, it's like, what else is there to say? We just say it all over again. So I always take that verse and, uh, and wrap it up. But <clears throat> anyway, then he says, don't pray like the religious who are not really concerned with changing God's mind, but altering men's opinions. Those who stand on the street corners and pray big prayers, and they're not worried about God. They're trying to influence people. He said, when you pray, uh, pray like this. And so we're going to read it. Let's read it together. Therefore, uh, do not be like them, verse 8, for your Father knows the things that you have need before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
Notice, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we've gathered around your word. We ask, Lord, that you would open all of our hearts, God. Let it be something powerful that you deposit in us. We declare that our spirits are ripe and ready, that the soil has been plowed by dynamic worship. And, Lord, we are ready for the sowing of the incorruptible seed of your word. And we will receive it with gladness. And we will declare that we have been blessed today. In Jesus' mighty name, somebody say amen. Amen. High five one, at least one person. Tell them, get ready for the word of the Lord. So so a few years ago, I had a dream. And uh, that's how the Lord speaks to me sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes he gives me a dream. And I'm pretty much convinced it's because that he has to put my consciousness to sleep so that he can do something in me. How many know that your spirit, man, never sleeps? Right? It doesn't have to have sleep. Your body sleeps. And so I think God says, okay, you're going to fight this and it's going to, you're going to have to try to figure it out. So I'm going to put you to sleep and then I'm going to reveal some things to you in a dream. And so a number of years ago, I had in my dream, I had a pastor friend who's actually part of the, uh, of the board here at the Hills, uh, Tom Lowe, in my dream. Well, Kath and I will be spring breaking with them this week in Branson. That means we're old. <laughs> you know, but anyway... What can I say? It just is what it is, you know. And so, uh, so in my dream, Pastor Tom calls and says, hey, and they pastor a dynamic church in West Monroe, Louisiana. And he said, I'm about to do a series on the kingdom of God and the power of the seed. And I want to bounce some ideas around and tell me what you think. Tell me what you know about the kingdom. This is in my dream. And so I began to talk with him in that dream. And the interesting thing was, is I began to say things in the dream to him that I'd never heard anybody talk about. I'd never heard anybody teach before. And in the middle of the night when I wake up from the dream, I'd grab my iPad and, and I wake Katha by accident because I'm over there in the dark typing. And she said, what are you doing? I said, the Lord just showed me some things about the kingdom that I'd never really thought about. And he revealed it in a dream and I want to record it before I forget it. And so that's kind of how that went. In the dream, I explained to Pastor Tom, I said, uh, when Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's because God wants to introduce his kingdom into earth. If that was not true, he would not have told us to pray for it. Now, understand the disciples have come to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And of all the things that Jesus could have told them to pray about, the very first real petition in the prayer is that we should ask God that his kingdom would come to earth and that his will would be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. And I begin to think about what is heaven like? And out of that thought, I, I thought, well, where is heaven anyway? Is it, I mean, the, the galaxy is billions of, mi- of miles across. I mean, even billions of light years. I mean, it, how, how far? I mean, you ever wondered that? Where is heaven? Where is God? I mean, where is, is, I don't believe after this dream and in my conversation with him, I don't believe that heaven's a long, long ways away. I, I believe that heaven is a different frequency. That heaven is a different frequency. Now you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I, I don't know where heaven is. I can't explain to you uh, the theological things behind it. But I do know that it's close enough that you can whisper on earth and be heard in heaven. I do know that. I do know that when Jesus was on Mount Transfiguration, that, it, that Moses and Elijah appeared just like that, and they didn't have to travel. You know, it takes like seven minutes for light to arrive on the face of the earth from the sun. Right? 
And if you flew on a jet airliner 500 miles an hour, it would take you 20 years to get from the sun to the surface of the earth. And ever how close or far heaven is, I know that the, uh, the uh, Moses and Elijah appeared instantaneously. I believe it was just a different frequency, that there was a tuning of that frequency. And the truth is a lot of our experience in the kingdom of God is like that. It's about tuning into the frequency of heaven. It's like getting, uh, getting tuned in. There, there are all kinds of radio waves that are moving through this building. You can't see them, but it doesn't mean they're not there. It just means that you are not tuned into that frequency. And I do believe that there are certain limits to our ability to tune in. How many know that when we die, what happens is we are fine-tuned to the frequency of heaven if you're a believer. And you let the corruptible be laid aside and the incorruptible takes over. And mortality is swallowed up in immortality. Can I get an amen? So I want you to understand when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about this far off kind of never, never land, fairy tale, uh, cosmic Disneyland where people are floating around and playing harps and, and all that. So that may, they may be doing that. I don't know. Maybe they're playing drums. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I am in Nashville. I'm pretty sure there's a banjo and a fiddle. I believe that. But anyway, I I don't believe it's that way. I believe that we are tuning into a frequency that God has designed. And I don't have time to build that all, construct that all for you, because I know that John said that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And so John, at the end of his life, with all the theological things that he had acquired and and all the the, the accoutrements of understanding that he had acquired throughout those years, essentially distilled this in one of his epistles when he said, for this is the message that we have received from him and that we declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So light has a frequency. Can I get an amen? So I don't think I'm too far off in, in a ride talking about that. But the kingdom is about the will of God. I, I begin. This is how I defined heaven. Not so much pearly gates and golden streets, though I do believe, just for the record, I do believe in a literal heaven with pearly gates and golden streets. So let me, and a literal hell for that matter. Yeah. Forgive me if you disagree. It's, it's up to you, but just indulge me. So I do believe that. But I do believe it's more than that. I do believe, I, I don't want to limit heaven simply to a place they pave the streets with gold and where, where there's a celestial sea and any of the imagine, things in our imagination that we def, would define as heavenly. I believe that heaven is a place where the will of God goes forth without resistance. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we cannot do it without understanding that the the foundation of the kingdom of God is it's a place where the will of God is done without resistance. So the more you are synchronized to the frequency of the will of God, the more you can experience the kingdom of God in your life. You want to experience the kingdom of God in your marriage, then synchronize your marriage to the frequency of heaven about relationships and you will begin to experience. Jesus said it this way. He said, hey, you want me to teach you to pray? Let me tell you what you ought to be praying for. Ask God that he would send the kingdom from heaven as it's being done in heaven to earth. You be a conduit of that. You you be a purveyor of that. You be a vehicle of that. Make yourself an agent of change and an instrument of demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God by doing the will of God. I don't want to make it overly simplistic. And how many know sometimes things can be simple and still difficult? 
And so I'm not suggesting to you that it is not difficult. I'm just saying it's simple. It's not that complicated. You don't need a magic decoder ring and a thesaurus to figure it out. All you've got to do is learn to get yourself out of the way and find the will of God and do the will of God. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you discover God's will in His Word. I mean, I'm, you think, well, I thought he was going to say I needed a class in the prophetic. Well, you might need a class in the prophetic, but prophecy as it comes through a human element is always going to be subordinate to the power of God's Word. This is the greatest prophetic oracle that's ever been given in the history of mankind. It is the revealed Word of God. It is the power of God breathed on paper through holy apostles of old as the anointing of the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke the Word. This is the will of God for your life. You want to know God's will for your life? Discover His Word. Wow, okay, so that's my introduction. So Jesus seems to equate the coming of the kingdom with the will of God. In my dream, I told Pastor Tom, I said that the kingdom of heaven is defined by the will of God. The expression of the the coming of the kingdom is when the sons and daughters of God begin to practice heaven on earth. When they begin to think about that, when they begin to practice heaven on earth, then it becomes an entrance for the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God into their situations and into their life. And this is demonstrated, if I may say this about Jesus, it's demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And I I don't want to be disrespectful in any way, but Jesus was kind of obsessed with the will of God. Can I say obsessed with Jesus? It's like Jesus was obsessed. He had this thing. He had this issue. He was constantly being compelled to do the will of God. What did he say? In Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. In Matthew chapter 12 verse 50, he says, Whoever does the will of my Father is my brother and my sister and my mother. And we could talk about the citizenry of the kingdom. And there they are defined by the will of God. In John chapter 4 verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Jesus was obsessed with the will of God. He wasn't obsessed with growing churches. As a matter of fact, I heard T.D. Jake say this week, and I think it's brilliant. It's absolutely true. He said a lot of what we do as church, we'd have to teach Jesus. I need a better amen than that. That's true. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It just means it's evolved to this place and this is how we do it. But I'm just saying a lot of that, no, Jesus was obsessed with the will of God. He wasn't obsessed with the political pundits or political correctness or what the pundits in Jerusalem were saying about him or what the religious folks were. He was obsessed with hearing from God and doing what God said to the degree that in another place he said, I only say what he says and I only act in the way that he would have me to act. Wow, that's a pretty high bar, but that was Jesus, you know, I mean, seriously. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, the writer speaks for Jesus when he says, Behold, I have come in the volume of a book. It is written of me to what? To do your will, O God. 
And I was talking with Pastor Tom, and as I began to pull all these verses, they weren't, I hadn't preached from them lately. They weren't there. The Holy Spirit was pulling them out, teaching me about the kingdom. It's like, son, you've made this so complicated. And there are principles. We'll deal with some of those in a moment. There are issues. There are all the wonderful things. Pastor Tom, uh, uh, John talked last week about a common language and a common currency and, and a common king and common laws and all those things that are indicative of any kingdom. And that's absolutely true. But you understand the undergirding reality of it is it's all about the will of God. So there are two things that I learned out of that dream. The first thing is that heaven is more than a place. It's a principle to be practiced. That heaven is more than a place. It's a principle to be practiced. And as I'm practicing the will of God, and I'm not always 100% on, but as I'm practicing the will of God, I'm becoming a conduit for ushering in to the earth, the kingdom of heaven. Somebody say amen to that. The second thing that I learned is that the principle of heaven is the will of God. Could you imagine being in a place where there is no spiritual opposition? Can you imagine being in a place that there was no carnal or fleshly opposition to the lordship of God? Could you imagine being in a place where his sovereign rule and authority is the only motivation, the only influence... That sounds like heaven to me. I don't know about you. That sounds like heaven to me because I had to fight every morning with the flesh, right? I mean, I had to get up and say, no, flesh, yes, God. I'm making daily decisions, right? I've been saved for whatever since I was, I can't even tell you how long, six years old. My grandmother prayed me through, honestly, on the front pew of Faith Chapel in Hartford, Arkansas. It took hours for me to repent all of the sins I committed at six years old. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I got a good dose of salvation at six years old. Since that night, my constant prayer has been changed to, Lord, I've come to do your will and finish the work you sent me to do. That's my kingdom frequency. That's my tuning in. Is every day I say, Lord, I've come to do your will and finish the work you sent me to do. I go into a counseling meeting. I've come to do your will and finish the work you sent me to do. I pray for someone that's sick. I've come to do your will and finish the work you sent me to do. I don't mean to oversimplify it. I don't mean to blow your theological bubbles. It's got to be more complicated. But I think that if the body of Christ would simply arise and say, we have come to do your will and finish the work you sent us to do. How, how would it change conflict in church, right? Can you imagine going into a meeting with the pastor or one of the elders, one of the leaders saying, well, we're about to leave, we're mad. Could you imagine expressing a high level of discontent and anger? But if you stopped before you went to that meeting and said, Lord, I have come to do your will and finish the work you sent me to do? How would it morph our attitudes? How would it morph what we do? How would it change our worship? How would it change our service? How would it change everything we do if we could simply lay ourselves aside and say, God, I have one focused purpose. That is to do your will and finish the work you sent me to do. This dream has caused an adjustment in my thinking because often before this, I downplayed the will of God and our responsibility to seek it. And I didn't mean to, but I'd say things like, well, you know, God will bless any effort that you put your heart to if your heart's right and and you have a desire to please him. And, And I've adjusted that a little bit because I do believe God has a perfect will for your life. How many, that's a little comforting to you to know that God's not just kind of taking it anyway. It's like God don't really care. It's like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. No, no, God, it matters to God what you do. 
how you, how you serve, where there is a place for you. God, there is a, a skill set and a gift mix that God has a plan for your life. There is a mixture God has predisposed. Your DNA, everything, your environmental training, all of that is part of what God has designed. And there is a place. You are to fit in a puzzle. There is a reason you're as twisted as you are. Because you're going to fit someplace. It's made just for you. Oh, I'm butchering my sermon, y'all, but it's okay. So let me, let, me, let me close with a few ideas here about God's mountain of success, okay? God's mountain of success. And this kind of came out of the dream. If you imagined a, a pyramid of the kingdom, this is how I think we are designed to tune into the frequency and then experience the kingdom of God. Kind of in a pyramid, the apex of that is the will of God. The apex is the will of God. The second dynamic is the ways of God. The ways of God. And we want to try to get to the ways of God before we have surrendered to the will of God. Because a lot of us want to use Him like a cosmic Santa Claus to make Him our servant instead of it being the other way around. I need a better amen than that. How many of you know religiously, theologically, we can learn about God and then try to manipulate God to do what we want God to do while sanitizing it and sanctifying it? You know what I'm saying? That's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom works when I, like on the Starship Enterprise, get into whatever they did to beam people up, and I get in the tractor beam of His will. Once I surrender to the will, then I, my mind is enlivened till I can experience the ways of God that don't make natural sense. Because there are going to be things that you're going to do in the kingdom that don't make natural sense. It doesn't add up. It's not 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's not no, no. It's a different equation. It does It always has a purpose, but it doesn't necessarily fit into the conventional confines and constructive logic. Anybody ever had to do something illogical? Anybody ever step out on faith? This is why faith is so part and participle to experience in the kingdom of God. Is because at some point in time, God's going to say, okay, if I'm in charge and it's my will that you're all about, I want you to do it this way. So the first is the purpose of God, the will. It's God's why, if you will. But the second layer is the principal level of the kingdom, and that's God's way. That, that's, this is the ways through which God desires to accomplish His will. This is the way through which God desires to accomplish His will. And then the third base of that is the means. So we have the will, the ways, and the means of God in the kingdom. When I experience the kingdom of God and through my prayer and agreement with heaven and my surrender to the lordship of Jesus and to surrender to the will of God, when I do that, I tune into the frequency of heaven. I experience his will. I discover his ways. So then instead of running to conventional ideas, I always run to the word of God and say, wow, I mean, if you want to use a jawbone of an ass, it's like, get your ass jawbone. Get busy. Commence. I mean, if you want to use a boy with five smooth stones, you know, it's like, how many know the Bible is filled with unconventional ways that God accomplished His will? 
And the people who were part of that weren't great superhuman heroes. They were just people that figured out that God had a will. And if they found God's will, they could discover a way that they hadn't seen. There are situations that you're facing right now that you're trying to figure it out naturally, but there is a way, there is a corridor, there is a secret chamber that will open up to you when you surrender completely to the will of God and not the will of other people's opinions or your own personal preferences. Because a lot of us, a lot of us practice idolatry by worshiping ourselves on the altar of our personal preferences. Yeah, well. So God has a will, He has a way. The will is the why, the ways are the what, and the means are the how. This is the provision of God and the means through which He accomplishes His will. Amen. Wow, i got five minutes left. So what am I going to do with this five minutes? How many would like to hear the way the, the dream ended? Okay, let me see if I can do it in five minutes. Because I mentioned to you that Tom asked about the kingdom of God and the seed. And so this is why I better read it or I'll, I won't do it in five minutes. Now the seed is, listen, the seed, this is how I explained it to him. The seed, Tom, is the carrier of the will of God. And the principal vehicle of the kingdom. Jesus also used the constant metaphor of the seed as it's related to the kingdom of heaven if you study it. But why the seed? The why the seed? The concept of the seed is a biblical picture of the coming of the kingdom. It explains how the the kingdom normally works. In my dream I explained that the will of God is downloaded into a seed. But then it must be sown in obedience. This is where the partnership between God and man is, is found. This was what God chose. This was His method through which, this was the means through which God chose to introduce His kingdom to earth. Everything that God wants to do in the earth, He puts in a seed, fills it with His will, the principle of heaven, and then places it in the hand of a man or woman and says, now what you gonna do? And then places in the hand of a man and a woman to be planted in the time and location where he wants it to grow. Man's role is to be a steward of God's will in the form of a seed. From your finance to your family to your ministry objectives to your relationships, they all are seeds filled with the will of God. They are inoculated with the word of God and waiting for your lever to be turned through obedience. We don't own seeds, we steward them. It's not your will that fills them and makes them grow. It's God's will that fills them and makes them grow. God is the owner and the giver, and as such, He alone has the right to determine their purpose. You as stewards have simple responsibilities. The owner has rights. Jesus is a great example of this. Jesus was the seed carrier of the kingdom of heaven. The apostle Paul calls Jesus the seed to whom the promise was made in Galatians chapter 3. Jesus was filled with the will of God and even called himself a seed. In John chapter 12 verse 24, uh, 12, verse 24 he says, Most assuredly, I say, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit, speaking of himself and his death on the cross. God embeds his kingdom will in a seed, but it must be practiced through sowing. When it is sown in faith, it will produce a multiplied harvest in time. But the seed must die. Stand with me, would you? What kills the seed? Wow. What do you mean the seed must die? 
Well, you see, the seed is housed in a corruptible shell. And it's filled with the incorruptible. The God part. But it's housed in a temporal vessel. So the seed's got to die. That's what Jesus meant when he said, unless a seed dies and falls to the ground, it will never reach its greatest potential. It will never maximize its possibilities. It will simply remain a seed. God says, you want the kingdom in your life? You want to be a purveyor of the kingdom? It's in your gifts and your talents and your treasure. And it's in stuff that I've already put in your heart and in your hands. And I'm just waiting for you to be obedient and sow it. But you reluctantly, you're reluctant to sow it because it feels like a loss. And in my dream, I said, Pastor Tom, that's the death of faith. And in the dream, he said, what do you mean? Faith dies? I said, no, faith kills. Faith doesn't die, faith kills. Anybody ever done something in faith and it felt like death to your flesh? It's like, ow. Anybody ever write that check and then leave and think, what do I have giver's remorse? It's like, what did I do? What was I thinking? That's good. That means it's working. That means it's working. As faith kills the flesh, breaks the shell. And then the water of the Holy Spirit in obedience says, I'm going to bring that to life. The corruptible container must surrender to the incorruptible contents. When it dies, it releases the incorruptible will inside. And faith is the medium through which God says, I'm going to kill the flesh so that the life in you can live and reach its greatest potential. So you may be here in this room today and you may be feeling like, wow, the season I'm in right now feels like death. That's a good thing. That's a good moment because it just means as long as you're standing that that shell's being broken off of you layer by layer layer by layer and what's inside of you really is about to take root and your potential is going to be so much greater than you could have ever imagined who wants to be a pocket of potential all of your life but to get to your possibilities you have to endure a moment of brokenness this is how the kingdom works let me pray with you If you're here today and you'd say, Brother Brassfield, I've never really even reached out to Jesus and made him Lord of my life. I've I've heard you talk about this and I, I hear you talk about the kingdom and tuning in. I've never tuned in to the frequency of heaven. Not much, much less through my obedience, but even with my decision to serve Jesus. Would you just raise your hand if you're here in this room anywhere? Anyone in this room? If you're here and you'd say today, Brother Brassfield, that's the season I'm in. Pray for me that the grace of God. Is that making sense why faith and grace and all that has to work together? Because to endure the the death of faith and wait for the product of His purpose, you need great grace on your life.
And I'm going through things right now that I need God's grace. But I believe there's some things in me that God wants to release. Would you raise your hand? Let's pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, pray it out loud with me. Lord Jesus, I surrender all to your lordship, your kingship. I surrender to your sacrifice that there's nothing I can do to add to it. So I freely receive it. And I receive your grace today for all that's going on in my life. And I will let faith do its work until that seed takes root. And then I declare today, I will be all you've called me to be. And I will do all you've called me to do. I declare today, I have come to do your will and finish the work you sent me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a shout of praise this morning.